Good morning, Berean Bible Church. I'm coming to you again this morning from my living room. I moved the chair to a different spot, uh, so I hope that this is okay. I hope you're doing well. Something else occurred to me today, something I can do here that I don't normally do. I have a coffee with me. Yeah, so that's pretty fun. I, I wanted to tell you this morning about something I was thinking about this past week in relation to our passage that I want us to look at together. It was something that happened to me uh, a long time ago now. It was when I was in high school. And what happened was I was in a class called DECA. Some of you I know are familiar with that, Distributive Education Clubs of America. But it was a class that was sort of about business and accounting and and marketing uh, that I took in high school. And they used to run these competitions. And I, when I was a senior in high school, uh, entered the entrepreneurship track. And in entrepreneurship, what you had to do was probably what most of you can guess. You had to come up with a business idea have a whole plan, and, and work it up as if you were pitching it to uh, you know, uh, some bankers to secure funding uh, for your new business. And so this is what I had done. And you'll never believe this. The idea that I had uh, was to deliver groceries to people from the grocery store. Uh, and I say you'll never believe it because, of course, we have that now. And, and I like to tell people sometimes that, that really was my idea first. Uh, but I came up with this idea and worked up a whole plan. And I did well enough regionally that I was invited to go to the Washington State competition. It was over in Bellevue on the other side of the state. And in the state competition, I sat before this panel of quote-unquote bankers, uh, investment bankers that were, were looking to uh, fund my supposed business. And I made my whole presentation for them. And when we finished, one of them said, you know, this is a really good idea. Are you thinking of actually doing this? And I did a thing that I have always wished I could take back. I looked at him and I said, no, this is just a project for me, you know, but no, I hadn't actually planned on doing this. And I could see the look in his face change. And I knew the moment it came out of my mouth, I shouldn't have said that. I just missed a really great opportunity to to own this idea of mine and to be really passionate about it, that may have been the thing that put me over the top. I'll never know because I didn't go any further in the competition than that state level competition. I always regretted that. I thought, what a missed opportunity. And I want you to grab your Bibles this morning and take a look at the book of Luke is where we're going to start. We're going to turn to Matthew in a minute. But starting in Luke, I want to look at this account that I know many of you are really familiar with, and it has to do specifically with Peter, uh, and Peter denying the Lord Jesus Christ. But to do that, I think it's good to back up and take a look at where this starts. So in Luke chapter 22, and I'm looking in uh, verse 31, uh, and this is still at the dinner. So we've, the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the, the Last Supper. And then as they move from, from that upper room where they had the Last Supper down uh, into the Kidron Valley and back up the other side to the Garden of Gethsemane. In this setting, they're still in that upper room. So like I say, we've sort of rolled the scene backwards a little bit. And in Luke twenty two thirty one, Jesus says, Simon, Simon, that's Peter, uh, just in case you forget. His name is Simon Peter. Simon, Simon, behold, 
Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. (laughs) But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Now Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. That's really heavy. And Jesus tells Peter earlier on in this evening, this is what's going to happen. If you want to turn back now uh, to the book of Matthew, and I'm in Matthew uh, chapter 26, and this is uh, a little bit later. And it says in Matthew 26, verse 30, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Okay, so do do you understand the setting? They were in that upper room. They finished their dinner. They sang a hymn together, which I really love. That's that's really neat. They sing this, this song together. And then they went to the Mount of Olives. That's where the Garden of Gethsemane is. And verse 31 says, then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. This is this quote from the book of Zechariah, one of the Old Testament prophets. And Jesus says, all of you, you're all going to fall away because of me. Uh, You're going to fulfill this prophecy that the shepherd will be struck and the sheep are just going to scatter. But then he says, but after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Now, Peter answered him now. And this is really interesting because Jesus has already told him pretty close to this setting, to this scene, Peter, you're going to deny me. You won't even admit that you know me. But even though he has said that, now in this scene where they're arriving now in the garden, Peter says, even though they all fall away, and maybe he's pointing, you know, at the other people that are, that are there, the other disciples that are in this setting, even if all of them fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter really doubles down at this point. He says, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all of the disciples then said the same. They all get really excited. No way. No, we'll never do it. We'll never do it. Even if we have to die with you, we will die with you. Well, of course, I think you know uh, how this story turns out, so many of you. We're in the same chapter of Matthew, Matthew chapter 26. And I'm going to pick up in verse 69. So Matthew 26 verse 69 says this now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and and the courtyard that Matthew's referring to here is the courtyard of the high priest so after Jesus was arrested he was taken first to the home of the high priest and and the high priest was well off enough that that he kind of had this whole courtyard around his home uh, there and so there are people gathered and and the the trial is going on inside but out in the courtyard there are people hanging around and we were told in a a verse prior that Peter has kind of followed from a distance but sure enough as soon as Jesus was betrayed 
the disciples by and large all scattered and they went into hiding like right away. But Peter now is kind of followed from a distance and here he is in this courtyard and he was sitting outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came up to him and said, you also were with Jesus the Galilean. But Peter denied it before them all saying, I don't know what you mean. (laughs) I don't even know what you mean. Once. Verse 71. And when he went out to the entrance, and, and again, this is probably the entrance to the courtyard there. When he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him. And she said to the bystanders, Oh, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. It's twice. Verse 73 says, After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. (laughs) People who were from the region of Galilee, they have this accent. You know, we, we have the same thing here in the United States. There are regions that have some distinctive accents. Well, they had that in Israel too. And and there was a distinctive accent that people from Galilee sort of had, and they said, we know that you were one of them. You had to be because your, your accent betrays you. You know, you talk like him. And verse 74 says that he began, that is Peter, began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear. And some translations even just simplify that and say he began to curse and swear. Peter starts using some really strong, forceful language even. And it says, he said rather, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. He did it once, he did it twice. And then he did it a third time. And Luke, we don't need to turn back to Luke's account, but Luke adds this really interesting and and tragic little detail, which is that when Peter denied him that third time, that Jesus, from where he was, turned and looked directly at Peter. And again, he says that Peter left and he, he wept bitterly. And so Jesus says to Peter, you're going to deny me. He says to all of them, you're all going to run away. You're, you're going to deny that you know me. This is going to happen. And they all say, no, 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 we'll never do it. And Peter in particular, just really forcefully, even if all the rest of these guys, all the rest of these lowlifes, you know, even if they all fall away, I'll never do it. I'll go to jail with you. I'll die with you. I'll do whatever it takes. There's no way, no possible way. And then when put to it, Peter won't even admit that he knows Jesus. It's such, a, such an interesting story and an interesting account of what happens. And I've said before, I, I really like Peter. He's got this strong, fiery personality. And, and of course, Peter means well. He's not trying to, to throw his fellow disciples under the bus, but he's trying to make this 
strong statement of how committed he is to Jesus as his Lord, as his master. And he just says, I'll I'll never, I'll never ever betray you. And what's interesting about the account, we don't know for sure, and I don't want to go too far here. You know, I often say that. We don't want to go beyond what the text itself says. But as we just look at the text, those interactions that Peter has with some of those people, it doesn't seem to indicate even that they were accusing him or that they were threatening him. Now, I understand that everything is, is, seems very dangerous. It's why the disciples, by and large, did run away once Jesus was, was arrested. It seemed as if they could all get in a, an awful lot of trouble. Things uh, uh, had been ratcheted up. The tension was very, very high. But what's interesting about it is Peter may not have been in any actual legitimate danger here. There may have been no threat. Some people walked up to him and they basically said, hey, didn't you know him? Aren't you a friend of of his? And in that setting, Peter can't even bring himself to admit that he knows him. Now, when we look at this story, and, and as I said before, I know so many of you are very familiar with this story We've looked at it together. You've looked at it in other settings. You've read it on your own. When we, when we think about this story, I think what we often sort of land on is this idea of, of guilt. This sort of, um, how dare Peter do this to Jesus? And I don't want to take that away completely. You know, as I was thinking about this, one of the things we talk about when we talk about Jesus is his full humanity, that that is part of the miraculous nature of Jesus, that he is 100% God, but he's also 100% man. The Bible says that he was like us, or he is like us rather, in his humanity in every way that we are human. And I think part of what that means is that he needed companionship. You know, we're really grappling with this right now. Uh, as we have all become sort of separated from each other. I think maybe those of us even who are uh, uh, sort of introverts by nature, I think we're sensing this separation from each other. We were created as humans to be social, to be together. And so think about Jesus now in this setting where he is about to suffer very intensely Uh, very greatly. And there is this, as we looked at last week, as as Jesus prayed, it, it is evident that he doesn't want to do this. He has perhaps some fear about this, some real trepidation. And in a setting like that, don't you just want your best and closest friends around you? And some of these people who were his best and closest friends, who who have been so meaningful even in his life, that social group of his that he had, they're all gone. And now even Peter, who had been so vocal about the fact that he would never, ever do this to Jesus, he would never even consider it. Peter says, nah, I don't even know him. I've never seen him. I'm, I'm not sure what you're talking about, but, but no, I don't know him. 
and, and he swears it by an oath, and then he even, whether he's cursing as in using profanity or whether the language there really just means that he is swearing an oath, either way he uses very strong, very forceful language to say, I don't even know him. That is sad. It really is. Imagine how that feels to Jesus, how that must have just driven a a spike through his heart. It is tragic. It is unfortunate. But I don't want to just consider that. I really want to consider a different angle of this, which is this. When Peter is in those situations and someone comes up to him and says, do you know Jesus? In that moment, Peter has an incredible opportunity. And unfortunately, what he does is something a little bit more than simply betray Jesus. Now, I hope you understand when I say simply betray Jesus, I'm I'm not trying to minimize that or or to trivialize that. But I think even more than that, Peter squanders an opportunity like I did in that DECA competition. I sort of squandered an opportunity. Now, some of you may say that I acted really nobly because I was being perfectly honest with with the judge there. But I'll never get that opportunity back. And Peter, in those settings, has a real opportunity. What would have happened? We can't know for sure. But what would have happened if that that first servant girl came up and said, hey, didn't you know Jesus? If Peter said, yes, yes, I do. And let me just tell you about him. I don't know if you've seen the things that I've seen. You have, maybe haven't heard all of the stories or the teachings or I would love to talk to you about him. And as subsequent people come up and they say, didn't you know him? And again, it's not, clear that there was even a threat involved here it could be that people were just curious that they were genuinely wanting to know about this jesus there had been great fascination about him great interest in the things that he had done and said and it could be that they were truly interested did you know this guy and what an opportunity for peter to say yes Yes, I do. Let me tell you. But he didn't do that. And so along with betraying Jesus, I think part of what Peter does here is he squanders this opportunity. And that's part of what makes this really sad and really unfortunate for us, especially when you consider Jesus' own example. Jesus does a couple of things uh, surrounding this. Uh, After his resurrection which uh, we will talk about next week, of course. But after the resurrection of Jesus, you can see in one of the scenes that there's this uncomfortableness between he and Peter. But what Jesus ultimately does is he completely restores Peter to his place of, of ministry and of authority, where a lot of us maybe would have said, you blew it, Peter. You betrayed me completely, and I will never forgive you for it. I'll never get over it. Jesus does just the opposite. He is so gracious and so gentle and completely restores Peter to this position of great importance and of great authority. But I want you to consider something else. In the 
the scripture reading uh, that we had earlier. Uh, we read from Romans chapter 8 together. Uh, there's this little verse, and this is such a powerful passage that is so uh, encouraging and so affirming. But there's this great little mention in there that I don't want us to miss. Again, Romans chapter 8, and I'm in verse 34. It says this, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. And then get this, More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. That's incredible. Can you just imagine? What that says is that Jesus Christ right now currently is is interceding for us. To intercede for someone is sort of like to to be an intermediary, to to speak on their behalf, to, to maybe put in a good word for someone. And Paul, as he's writing this amazing letter to the church in Rome back in this day, he says, I want you to understand something, that right now, Jesus Christ, he's sitting at the right hand of God the Father, and he is interceding for you. He is putting in a good word for you. He is making your case before God the Father. And if you and I, are, are supposed to look like Jesus Christ. And I've said this so many times, but when we, when we use this word Christian, that really is derived from this term Christ one, which meant a disciple of Christ, a follower of Christ. And part of what that meant in the early world was to look and to act and to talk like that person that you were following. And so part of our our duty, part of our goal ought to be to look and to act and to talk like Jesus Christ. And if we're going to be imitators of Jesus Christ, then just as Jesus is sitting here at the right hand of the Father and he is making the case for you, he is putting in a good word for you in front of God the Father, that in like way, we ought to be making his case. And we often have opportunities like this that maybe if we're not careful, we kind of squander. We sort of let them slide away without taking advantage of them. We, we don't give thought to what it means to, to make someone's case. And I think when we look at this idea, we look at this account uh, in the Gospels of Peter denying Christ, you know, we really look at it in that way. And we think, boy, if, if somebody threatened to put me in jail, say, for knowing Jesus Christ, well, I'm not going to claim to not know him. I'll go to jail. I'll, you know, we, we build these really extreme situations that maybe look a little more like what Peter was going through in that setting. And I wonder if part of the reason we do that is because we sort of know those things aren't very likely to happen. But what I want to suggest is that it's quite possible that you and I are every bit as guilty of denying Jesus Christ by doing some far simpler, mundane, everyday things. Like when we pass up an opportunity to talk about him. Again, our culture right now is going through something relatively unprecedented. This whole uh, issue with COVID-19 and what that's doing to our society. 
And there's a lot of fear involved. It's part of the reason uh, we, we took some time to look at the passage a couple weeks ago where Jesus just reminds his follower, I'm with you. You don't, you don't need to be fearful. I'm right there with you. But there are a lot of people, perhaps, that don't know Jesus, and they are fearful. They don't have that anchor, that shelter, that assurance, the, the promise from Jesus. And when they see a group of people who don't seem to be as afraid, I think sometimes they may be looking to them and saying, hey, don't you know Jesus? Don't, is that true? Do you know him? And I think sometimes our fear then raises our hackles go up and we think, oh no, what's going to happen if I, if I say yes? And so we just say no, or, or we sweep it under the rug. Or worse yet, maybe the people around us don't even know that we know Jesus because we never talk about him. They might even be surprised to hear that we are friends with Jesus. And when we do that, aren't we every bit as guilty of denying Jesus Christ as Peter was in this account? I think we are. I think we are. And so I want us not to just look at this passage and say, oh boy, Peter, you really blew it in this situation. Boy, if I ever ever get put into a situation like that, I won't make that same mistake. Instead, I want us to think, I wonder if at times... I am making that same mistake. That I'm squandering opportunities to talk about Jesus, to make his case, to interact with people and let them know, let me tell you, I am a lot less fearful right now. Even in this extreme setting that that seems so dire and, and so grim. But even in this setting, I'm not fearful Let me tell you why. Let me take this opportunity to talk to you about why it is. I don't want to deny my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I don't want to squander and miss an opportunity because I just want to remind you, we don't get those opportunities back. I I told you about this story from high school. And that's a lot easier for me to talk about because it was so very long ago. But the reality is, I think a lot of us could say about a number of things, I wish I could have said this, or I wish I wouldn't have said that. I wish I I would have handled that opportunity better. And especially where it comes to Jesus, I want to encourage you to be really mindful about that, especially in this time. Because I think when there is a crisis in our lives, it's an even greater opportunity to talk about Jesus Christ. And so let's not squander those opportunities. Let's not look back and say, oh, I had a great chance to talk to somebody. I could have easily suggested that they they look to Jesus Christ. I could have talked about my relationship with the Lord and, and what that looks like and why it's such an encouragement to me right now. And I didn't. And now I can't get that back. Let's not think that. Let's instead have our eyes open and look for opportunities in which we can make the case for Jesus Christ and not be guilty of denying him in our own lives. Our Father God,
We thank you so much for your love for us. God, we, we recognize again that we are so far from perfect, that there are so many things that we don't get quite right. And Father, I, I praise you for your patience with us, your love, your grace, which just knows no end, that you are always in the process of restoring us, welcoming us back into your fold. But God, in this text today, help us to not just see this relatively extreme situation and, and wag our finger at, at Peter and fantasize about whether if this happened to us that we would behave differently. God, help us instead to see more mundane, everyday situations that are happening to us all the time where we have an opportunity to either make your case or to deny you. God, make us strong. Make us bold. Help us to not be guilty of denying you and squandering opportunities to make the case for the Lord Jesus Christ. God, we pray for people in our culture, in our neighborhoods, in our city here, who don't know Jesus Christ as Savior right now. Help us to share that good news that Jesus, in order to bring us back to you, came and died on our behalf and then was raised back to life in power so that we could be given salvation. We might be free from the power of death and the power of sin and have a good and right relationship with you. What a beautiful story, God. Help us to tell that robustly, to tell it with fervor, with great enthusiasm, and to seek out opportunities to do that. Thank you, God. We pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you, Bereans. Uh, I pray that you have a wonderful week. Grace and peace be with you.